From the Financial Times in London, I'm Andrew Bounds and this is FT News. People in the north of England voted heavily in favour of leaving the European Union in last month's Brexit poll. Many said they had voted to leave because they'd not seen the economic benefits of EU membership and they felt wages were being squeezed by European migrants. This is in spite of the government's Northern Powerhouse plan, which has tried to devolve power to cities in the north to develop an economic counterweight to London. Economist Jim O'Neill has been central to the Northern Powerhouse since he took on the role of Minister for City Devolution and Infrastructure last year. The former Goldman Sachs economist also heads an international commission to investigate global antimicrobial resistance. I spoke to him about the referendum result and began by asking whether it should lead to greater devolution in the North. You would have thought the message from last week was, yeah, <laughs> if anything it's got to be more than bolder. I think there's a message that leaders don't appear to be able to connect with their people very well. And when I first thought that, I was thinking about, you know, the leaders. But I think it actually means possibly even people like me and, and leaders of business. And if that's true, there's a dimension of this which needs to result in different forms of behaviour and in obviously including communication but in terms of proper connectivity. Because if not, there's going to be other things that happen that's going to surprise a lot of people. Maybe it's a wake-up call. Hopefully it is. But if it is a response in some respect to you know, the challenges of globalisation and yeah. job dislocation, yeah. communities changing, how, how can you manage that on a national scale? I think it goes back to your first question. I think it adds to the notion of devolution. You know, go to one of the central issues. Should one think of immigration with some new national approach? Should it involve some kind of devolved role? Because some areas probably think differently than others about both the need and desire. And if you're going to look at it objectively rather than just the sort of emotion that has been so sadly dominant the past week, I think you have to think about things like that myself. I mean, you're still close in touch with the community you came from. Which way do you think they voted? I'm pretty sure the ones that I touched base with a lot, it was to leave, because I spoke to quite a lot of them about it. And it goes partly to the point I made about perhaps even I don't connect in the way that I thought I might. And it's because unless some of the broader economic benefit is making people feel more as part of these supposedly great things that are going on, but when they're given the chance to vote for change, they kind of vote for change, whatever the rationality of it. I think one has to think of more things that might be devolved, but obviously it might have to influence how certain central policies can be thought about differently. We're going all the way to the Swiss model. Where <laughs> <laughs> Don't know about that. <laughs> Just on the business leaders issue, I spoke to a guy going around the polling stations who worked for BASF and said his company told him not to vote out. He was voting out anyway. He felt that they could pull the plug at any time anyway. You know, there seemed to be this lack of trust anyhow in the companies they worked for and in, yeah. in, in what their own yeah. bosses were telling them. This is partly why I deliberately said it. It's easy for us to blame the elected person at the top. I think it's broader than that. And it's partly because of this antimicrobial resistance thing I've been doing and looking at the way farmer industries are. We have to somehow encourage big business leaders in particular to think beyond the next quarterly 
report and what are they really doing in terms of investment and what are they really doing to bring in buy-in by their employees to feel as part of it as opposed to just somebody that helps as an input to something as cheap as it can be and allowing the apparent reported profit to be as big as it is, I think. I think there's, to me, there's a big message from that as well, actually. And the way they communicate, yeah. because there is a constant threat, isn't there, for most companies that we might reconsider this investment, right, consider that investment. I think, uh, I mean, that is really complex, but it adds to my link to another part of the job that I have some ownership in, is the whole broader productivity thing and the role of companies. I think companies have got to think a lot about what the message from this and some other weird things going on around the world is in terms of their own long-term sustainability. What do you think the impact on the economy is going to be of this, and internationally? We've invited a challenge upon ourselves that seems we would be better off not having done. And you would imagine that certain parts of investment spending right now will have stalled particularly in construction, but maybe elsewhere. The first objective indicator we really will get, perhaps not till the August PMI. Actually, I mean the, the full-blown July one in August, sorry. In the meanwhile, everybody's going to be living off anecdotes. However, as somebody that's lived through the world I have and the things I've had to learn, how people and leaders ultimately contribute is how you deal when something that you don't expect is put on the table. And so it's important that whilst at the same time as trying to do more to empower people that seemingly feel so much out of it, that we don't throw the whole bath water out. And it's tough because obviously you can't do everything. But I think it's important that some core positive things about how Britain seems in the world are re-emphasised and maybe as a build-up to the autumn budget actually done even more of because it is what it is and you've got to get on with it whatever the rights and wrongs of the decision but it's really important that whatever we've just done to ourselves in terms of risks that we do things to try and offset it and make the UK all parts of it more attractive than we were thinking about last week and taking for granted. That might involve greater trade promotion and so on? I think that definitely that is one of the things. I think the things that we do, sort of economic and financial dialogue that we have with China and India, we need to be on our front foot even more about those. We need to think additionally about direct help for export businesses. You wouldn't have thought this was a challenge given how much FDI we get, but whether we need to have a different approach <laughs> about how to get FDI now. I don't think that's the case, and the early anecdotes I get is that, perhaps surprisingly, there's no sign of that disappearing, but it's something obviously we've got to think about. And will you continue to serve whoever takes over the Conservative Party? I came in this job to deliver on the Northern Powerhouse. I do a number of other things, but that was the prime thing I was asked to do and why I came. If I perceive that it's not being given the importance that I believe it should, then I wouldn't but I'm assuming it will be. And do you think that having worked in the city, the city will be diminished as a result of Brexit? Clearly there's some very specific issues here which are net negative for the city. But I'd like to think that other people have learned, like I have, that a crisis happens and the only thing you ever know is that you will get out of it.
it never feels like it when you're in it, but you're going to get out of whatever the crisis it is, and there's going to be another one. And the same for people in the city. And here there's an enormous amount of evidence over the decades, of course, that the ability to reinvent itself is quite impressive. If you look how financial sets of productivity, as reported, has been really weak since 08, maybe we need to have more differentiation within our financial institutions. So a lot of them complain about being too heavily regulated, but if most of what they do involves at their core things that involve supporting basic lending, then that should behave utility-like. But we might need more merchant bank type entities that we don't really have as separate things these days. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if the more creative thinkers start to think a bit that way. That was The Economist Jim O'Neill talking to me, Andrew Bounds, at the Liver Building in Liverpool. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.